scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some of you know that my family and I got a puppy not too long ago. Her name is Ember, and she's a bundle of energy. And uh, I've got a picture of her right there. When my son James goes out to ride his bike in the driveway, she starts running laps like a racehorse. We would have a real ti hard time uh, catching her if she had a mind to run away. <laughs> um, but she never does wander too far away. She likes to stay close, especially to me. She follows me everywhere. She follows me everywhere, even when I don't want to be followed. Into the laundry room, into the bathroom, into the basement. She's right behind me. To me, she's my little canine shadow. And to her, I'm a trusted leader worth following for good things. A good dog owner leads their dog to good things. They don't lead them into danger. Hopefully wherever they're leading them ends up in them getting treats. It's a humble form of leadership, but leadership nonetheless. Often when we think of leaders, we think of grand figures, politicians, military commanders, CEOs, and the like. We think about the sports athlete who has the power to will his or her team to victory. We often say that these people are born leaders. But I don't think that accurately expresses what we're getting at. After all, these people aren't all the leaders in the world. In fact, when we think of royalty, some people are literally born leaders, even if they turn out to be pretty lousy kings or queens. So what do we mean when we say that someone's a born leader? Well, I, I think what we mean when we say that is that someone is born with a high degree of charisma. They have an innate ability to persuade and influence others. An ability that the rest of us have to work harder to acquire. Influence is one of the essential ingredients of leadership. If I was going to boil leadership down to its essential components, just the sugar, water, and lemons to make this lemonade, I'd put it to you this way. Leadership requires people, direction or conviction, and influence over followers. You can't be a leader if you're cast away on an uninhabited island. Leadership requires people to lead. If you're going to be a leader, you need to have direction and convictions, something that people can follow. 
People can't follow nothing. And if you're going to be a leader, you need to have some influence, some ability to persuade others to follow. If no one ever follows you, it's difficult to call you a leader. I won't say it's impossible, but it's, it's, it's difficult. Now, I want you to pay close attention here because we're about to turn a page. Up to this point, maybe you've thought these considerations are only relevant to people like me or other obvious leaders in the church. Maybe some of the people that were up on the screen. It can be like when I ask you to imagine a football player. Most of you will think maybe of a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, linebacker, maybe someone like, uh, we've got Tom Brady up here. That's a football player. But these aren't the only football players. Long snappers, punters, placeholders, and kickers are football players too. That guy, he's a football player. You easily imagine other people who are leaders and you kind of say, that's not me. But I want to tell you today that you are a leader too. Maybe you're not the QB of leaders, the Tom Brady of leaders, but you're at least the placeholder of leaders. If we review the key ingredients I laid out, I think you'll see how I can make that claim. Let's look at it again. Leadership requires people. Well, guess what? None of us live on an uninhabited island. All of us are surrounded by people. It's a check mark. Leadership requires direction, conviction. Well, realize it or not, all of us are heading somewhere. All of us do have a path that we're walking on, and all of us do have certain convictions, even if we're not great at articulating them. Nonetheless, we live them out. Our kids see our convictions lived out on a daily basis. So all of us do, in fact, have this, whether good or bad. And the last ingredient, you need to have influence, followers. Well, all of us do have some circle of influence, some limited degree of influencing other people. And I would give you even just the most kind of thin example. It's just, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm making my way home at night and it's dark and there's a road that I know I need to turn on and I, I know I might miss it, um, sometimes I look at the car ahead of me and if they're turning on that road, I was like, okay, that's where it is. Whether they realize it or not, that person was acting as a leader in that moment. And as a society, as we, as just one member of the herd, all of us influence each other in all kinds of small ways that we kind of overlook. And yet, it's the sort of influence that you would call leadership, even if it's the smallest kind. It still counts. Now, I'm not making any particularly Christian claim here. I think this is just the reality of our life together. But it is a reality that the Christian faith fully embraces. God knows that we all possess leadership capacities. 
This is why in Matthew 28, he can issue this general command to all of his disciples. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, of course, not all of us will baptize someone or have official roles as teachers. But we are, all, we are all part of this process of making disciples. And teaching certainly exceeds mere words. God has called all of us to lead people to Christ. None of us can say, oh, that, that doesn't apply to me. None of us have been given a license to apathy, to just look at the people around us and say, they're not my problem. That is antichrist. God did not look at us and say, they're not my problem. No, he sent his son so we could be led out of the gates of hell. And now, Christ has looked to us and said, keep going. Keep leading. Bring every tribe and tongue back to the Father through me. Maybe you weren't born with charisma, but make no mistake, you are called. You are called to lead. We want to underscore that. I have that in the title. Called to lead. I want us to look at a few more texts from Scripture that make this clear. Let's leave nothing in doubt. The first text that we're going to look at is the one that was read earlier, Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, looking at verse 23. Notice the, a few things first. The hope. The hope that the author identifies. He says, Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We need to have a hope set before us if we're going to be able to persevere. If we have no hope, we're going to swerve to the left and to the right. And even as it is, as we try to follow Christ, it's very easy for us to swerve off the path. But we steal ourselves, we get ourselves back on track by reminding us of the reality of this hope and that the one who has given us this hope is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. And so, with that foundation in place, we are then told, that we, told to spur one another forward toward love and good deeds. Now, the thing that we need to realize about the instructions that are being given here by the author of Hebrews is that he's not giving these, this isn't a letter to just apostles or teachers. It's to all of us. All of us are being called to spur one another forward. And if we're spurring each other, if we're saying, go, move, then we're leading each other. You think about spurring kind of like uh, someone that's 
rustling cattle, saying, kind of, get along, little doggy. That's what we're all supposed to be doing to each other. Keep going. In a really positive way, keep going. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Do what God has called us to do. And the way that this is practically worked out, according to the author of Hebrews, is by getting together, by consistently gathering together as the body of Christ. The first step of leadership is just showing up, being present. It's impossible for us to lead if we're not together, because we're all just discombobulated. We're everywhere. And I'll say, like, as a pastor, like, this is a point of concern for me. As I look at our congregation, as I look at other congregations, because I know this isn't exclusive to us, is the lack of consistency when it comes to gathering together. This is a problem not just for people individually and the risks that it runs to them, but it's also of corporate concern for the health of the body because we need each other to be spurring each other onward, forward. If something's important, we do it. How many of us here brush our teeth? Yeah. You, better, you all better raise your hand. Other raise your knee. Yeah. Yeah. All of us do that. And we do it every day because it's important. Why do we participate weekly in worship? Why do we gather together as the body of Christ? Because it's important. Now, I think sometimes we've kind of excused ourselves. We've kind of quibbled about the necessity. It's like, well, I, you know, me and Jesus, I have a relationship with him. But the text is plain, brothers and sisters. It says here that it's important for us to be together. And so if you were going to really boil it down, I think the real reason, the heart of heart reasons behind our struggle with this is that it's not easy. Brushing our teeth is pretty easy. It's not that difficult. Some of us should probably brush our teeth a little bit longer, but we at least nominally do it. It's pretty easy. When we have all the distractions of our culture pulling on us, it's not easy to remain faithful to gathering together. But if this isn't easy, you know, just showing up, what about the rest of the Christian life? That's not easy. And it's for that very reason why we need to get together, because it is not easy. But you've got to take that first step. You've got to show up. It's vital. We need to be present to lead each other, to spur each other on. And as the author here says, now more than ever, as we're always getting closer and closer to Christ's return, we hear again this call to lead each other forward and Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. You can turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 if you like. I'm going to be starting at verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 5 is going to be on the screen too. Paul writes here, He, as Christ, died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, 
just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So again, we see here in Paul's writing how our hope is set at the forefront. Our hope of living together with Him. And with this at the forefront of our minds, Paul then calls us to encourage and build each other up. To lead each other forward. Now, this this notion that we have this capacity to build each other up isn't something that only appears in the New Testament. We see this appear in the Old Testament. A lot of you are familiar with this path, with, with this verse, Proverbs twenty-seven, verse seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As we're brought together, we are, to, we are brought together in order to sharpen each other, to build each other up, to help us move forward. Now, as I've mentioned before, I, I, sometimes we can kind of fall into the trap of thinking that, that that role is just for people like me, like a pastor. Um, and it's easy to see why we've kind of fallen into that trap, because in some tra- church traditions... They even call the pastor just the priest, um, which kind of elevates us to a very kind of exclusive status. But I want to show you something this morning. 1 Peter 2, verses 4, 4 through 5 and 9. Now, as we look at these verses, I want you to look for one word. It's you. And when you see that word you, I want you to understand it as being plural because that's what it is. It's not talking about the singular. This is the problem with the English language. You can be both singular or plural. So we need kind of like the southern standard version here where you see you and you hear y'all. Right? Starting in verse 4. As you all, and I won't keep doing that, but <laughs> as you all come, come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So what's the significance of this passage? It's this. Not all of you are pastors, obviously. Not all of you are called to be pastors. But if you've come to Christ, you, all of you, are priests of God. And we're called to lead each other in offering spiritual sacrifices up to God. And maybe you're wondering, what's a spiritual sacrifice? Kind of sounds exotic. 
But it's not. It's actually very concrete. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says this in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what is worship, spiritual worship consistent? It consists in us offering the entirety of our lives to God. And this is how we're to be leading each other on. Leading each other on to doing that. Giving God everything. All that we are. And it's when we do that, when we lay our lives completely before God, when we do that, it's, it's then that we actually gain our lives for the first time. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 16, 25. He says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you want to find your life, lose it. Give it to Jesus. And you'll finally find the life that you've been searching for. Getting back to this passage of 1 Thessalonians 5, we're called to basically honor those who have been doing this and have been leading the way in, in doing this. And that's why we try, we don't do it perfectly here, but we do try to honor our leaders here. Because they're doing value, they're giving us a valuable example. They're performing valuable service for the body of Christ. It's no one-man show here. But their call, the call of our leaders here that you've seen visibly, but also in, here in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, those that we're to acknowledge, their call is our call. Notice in verses 14 and 15 of, of 1 Thessalonians 5, how we're given this instruction to warn each other, to encourage one another, to help each other, to be patient, to make sure to guard each other against being vengeful. Now we're called to promote the good. Now all of this is interpersonal stuff. All of it. I know like, in our Western culture, we kind of have this attitude where I'm just going to do my religion on my own. I'm not going to tell you what you're supposed to do. And it's just like, you do you, man. I'm just going to deal with me. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying we got to be involved in each other's lives. It's going to get messy. That freaks a lot of us out. It's like, I don't want that. Well, that's what we're being called to. And that takes a little bit of leadership. If I'm going to warn somebody, I'm saying, don't go that way, go this way. If I'm encouraging someone, I'm saying, keep going. I'm running right alongside them. Keep going forward. And if we're saying we're going to promote the good for each other and for everyone else, we have to have a vision of the good and saying, let's keep going that way. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't any differentiation in terms of the ways in which we would lead. Your role might not look like my role. It probably won't look like my role. And Scripture testifies to this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 and 12 through 14, says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one of the now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Just as a body, though one is many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. When you think about this image of a body that we actually are in Christ. We actually are the body of Christ. It's not mere analogy, not mere metaphor. We are the body of Christ. We think about the way that the body functions in its different senses. You don't always follow one sense over the other. Sometimes the other senses are looking to another to give it guidance. If I'm trying to sense if there's a fire going on, sometimes I can't smell or see it, but I might feel it. Other times, you know, you can smell. Something smells like smoke, but you don't see a fire. You don't see the smoke, but you, you smell it. It's in that same way that in the body of Christ, we lead each other forward. Sometimes we, some of us like, I don't smell anything. I don't, I don't feel anything. But this other part of the body is saying, I feel this. I see this. This is, where we need to, this is where we need to go. And this is how we lead each other in Christ. And we're doing that not to promote our individual good, like, oh, it's because this will work out great for me. No, it's with each other's interests in mind, promoting the common good. When we're not doing that, when we're just looking out for each other, it's like a body at, at war with itself. That's what we, we say that a body has autoimmune disease when it's fighting against itself in that kind of way. That's what happens to the body of Christ when we're not looking out for each other's own good. We're here to promote each other's good. And I want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 it says, and for everyone else. So we're talking about both inside the church and outside the church. Everyone else. This idea of, of leading others to their good is not just a church thing. It carries over into the home. It carries over into the workplace. It carries over into your softball league. Whatever you can think of, wherever humans gather, we've been called to lead people to what is good. And we approach that good as we come closer to Him. Now, another way, I think, for us to kind of put this in terms of our conception of leadership is, is to say that we're called to be servant leaders. A servant serves a, a master. They're looking out for, some, for someone else's good. And yet, this is a person who's leading. So it's a leader who's seeking the good of those that they're leading. In Matthew 20, 25 through 26, Jesus gives us this vision of leadership. He called his disciples together and he, tells, and he said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. What Jesus is saying here is that the leadership that we're called to is not the tyrant type where we get to boss everyone around and we just we use 
what authority and influence we have for our own benefit. No, it's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others because we want what's best for each other. In the book, uh, Leadership in Christian Perspective, um, they actually def they, they define servant leadership along these lines. I want to give you the quote to that. Um, they say this, Servant leadership is an approach to leadership that prioritizes followers over leader self-interest. While many argue that a commitment to organizational goals must be prioritized over the people of the organization, a servant leadership perspective argues that the most effective way to accomplish organizational commitments is through focus on followers. So what they're saying there is, is that, you know, as a church, we can have these great goals to maybe serve our community, get the gospel out there, all that kind of stuff. But our first priority is this, is taking care of each other, looking out for each other as a church family. We can't trample over each other. We can't run over each other on the way to some goal. Because then we've just really completely lost the point. We've lost the plot. Now, kind of thinking a little bit more about this idea of, okay, well, what does this look like to, to lead each other onward? I, I, I want to give you an example. It's kind of striking, I think, from the, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Because when we think about leadership, we often do think about teaching. And we think, well, gee, I'm not a teacher. I don't want to stand up here at the front and teach people and stuff. But the New Testament has a pretty broad conception of teaching. Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, now pay attention. How do we teach and admonish one another? With all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Check out what Paul's saying here. We're all teachers when we sing, when we're gathering for this worship. That's how we can corporately teach one another. Now the point behind our song, the why behind our song, the why behind our leadership, isn't to glorify ourselves. Because that's not what a servant leader does. He cares for the, the people around him. And what's more, as Paul directs us here in Colossians 3.17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's about bringing him praise. It's about bringing him glory. Leadership is basic to God's created purpose for us. What is a human being for? God tells us in Genesis 1.26. He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We were created to be image bearers and rulers. We were created as images of God, 
signposts to direct each other again and again back to Him. We were created to be the conductors of creation's orchestra, bringing together the world to sing His praise. Now, we fell apart out of the gate. But Jesus has come to restore us. If you follow Jesus, He has called you to lead. To lead one another in the church. To lead one another in your homes, in our town, and in the workplace. There is no square inch of this earth that God is content to be void of Christian leadership. He has sent us to the world so that the world would be led to Him. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to spend a couple more weeks talking about leadership. We'll explore a little bit more deeply the where and how of leadership. But for now, you know the who. It's you. You are called to lead. Let's pray. Dear Father, we don't think of ourselves as leaders. We don't think we have anything to offer to you much, nor to anyone else, Father. And yet, as you revealed in your word, Father, you've created us the sort of beings who would spur each other onward toward you. And Father, we confess that we've failed in this task. We've led each other astray more often than not. But now, Father, as we've come to Christ, we recognize that our call has been renewed. And so, Father, we pray that we would step up to the plate, that we would show up, that we would be present in the life of the church, and that we would take responsibility for the circles of influence that you've given us, Father. Whether we have over influence over many, Father, or just a couple people, help us to take that responsibility seriously. And give us the courage, Father, and the further, Father, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to stand for what is good rather than just what's easy. Father, our prayer is that you would help us to be the leaders that you've called us to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon I offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Scituate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Scituate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series on Christian leadership. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.